Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoone. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, it is me. I'm back and I'm 49. February 17th, 2021. I turned the big 49, which my mom likes to remind me is always the first day of the next year. So apparently I'm actually on the first day of 50, which for many people is a huge milestone and something scary. But I want to tell you something. We make a lot of jokes about aging, like it's a bad thing, but I think it's awesome. I feel stronger, I feel more empowered, and I feel closer to myself and what makes me happy every single day that I'm on this planet. So I embrace the power of aging. (laughs) I guess we'll see what I say on February 17th of 2022 when I turn the big 5-0, which is actually the first day of 51. Thanks a lot, Mama. Anyway, you guys, we have... um, an incredible episode today with a emerging thought leader. That's what I'm calling her. Her name is Emily Holland. I met her in October of 2019. She interviewed me about my entrepreneurial journey on her previous podcast called The Stokecast. And towards the end of the interview, we actually talked about my sobriety journey And I actually did what a lot of podcasters like to pull on other podcasters. I turned one of their questions back on them. (laughs) So I asked Emily if there was anything in her life that she felt she wanted to let go of. And she replied with this awesome quote. I'm in the process of thinking about letting go of alcohol. I just haven't done all the thinking I want to around it yet. Or something very similar to that. It was vague, but she was on the cusp. Um, And the point, I think, is that she truly was on the verge of starting the journey that has taken her to through her life in this next direction, in the direction of sobriety. And that's what we're talking about today. How someone can go from all out to zero and make it work. Um, It's interesting As of the last few days, Emily is actually one year sober. She wrote a very powerful blog with nine very powerful takeaways, um, which I actually suggest that you go and read. You'll see the link on the show notes today. Emily is a very deep thinker. She is not taking her sobriety journey lightly, joking about it, playing with it. She's, she's in it, and she has actually become so passionate about what sobriety has brought to her own life, how much it's helped her grow, that she decided to start a new venture, a new podcast called Nature Untold. So I think you need to go over and subscribe to it. It's awesome. She's got five or six episodes out. Her goal is to normalize and destigmatize the discussion around sobriety, addiction, and recovery in the outdoor community and industry. And she's doing just that. You know, I think what's really cool is that she's actually targeting her 
guests and her audience to those who place a priority on outdoor recreation, health, fitness, etc. And the reason I find that interesting is because a lot of us look at people who are healthy, who prioritize fitness and, you know, all of those things that make our lives better and think that we couldn't have a problem like this. And that is, um, that thinking is inaccurate. It's just not correct. So she is going to help a lot of people with her new mission, which is being informed by her own journey, which I find really, really cool. I also want to say um, that this may be a trigger episode for some people who are what you may call sober curious or who um, think that they are also on the cusp of needing to do the thinking to possibly let go of this thing called alcohol or maybe it's drugs or a different addiction. So think about that before you decide to fully tune in. If you're ready to hear this, it's going to potentially have a very powerful effect on you. Um, before we get Emily on, I want to remind you that I have another podcast It's called the She Runs It podcast, which I started with the new owner of Skirt Sports, Sarah Ratzliff. I love her. We have a great time rapping about various topics on a weekly basis. Um, The latest episode, which drops on Friday, February 19th, is called Behind the Skirt, What It Takes to Run a Women's Activewear Business. We were going to call it Under the Skirt or what's under the skirt or something. We couldn't figure it out. Anyway, we did call it behind the skirt. So maybe that is a little risque, but I loved this episode because it's not just about women's, you know, clothing. It's about being a woman in business and working with all of the different challenges that we are faced with on a daily basis. And not working with them necessarily, but navigating all of the challenges that come not only from the business itself, but from the nature of being a multifaceted woman, oftentimes mom, which is true in the case of both Sarah and I, and um, and all of the fun that comes out of, let's just say, putting yourself out there, trying as hard as you can, working towards a goal, but in the end, relinquishing some control because what you find when you're on this journey is that you will never be right. You will never be 100% right, but you can get pretty damn close and that's the goal. Anyway, it's a really cool episode. It was fun for me to talk about because, you know, I used to own skirt sports, but now Sarah does. So it's really, really cool to watch somebody new um, grab that baton and run with it and to be a mentor of sorts. All right, you guys, um, one more quick thing. If you are interested in just being part of my little journey as I go forward, make sure you subscribe to my newsletter because I'm putting them out every once in a while when the inspiration hits and they are pretty darn fun. We all need a little more fun in our lives, especially right now during the pandemic that will never end. 
So go to NicoleDeBoom.com, scroll to the bottom, or check out on Instagram in my link in my bio, and you can subscribe there. There's a million other things going on, but right now you are here for the story of Miss Emily Holland. It's time to bring her on the show. Bring it on, Emily. (laughs) (laughs) Here we are. We did it. We made it happen. Yeah, it took us a little while, but um, and you went through a lot of life changes, since I last yes. spoke with you, my dear, which was, I looked this up. I did a little last minute cramming and <laughs> I listened to part of the Stokecast podcast that I was on the other side of the mic. You were interviewing me about my entrepreneurial journey. And this was mm-hmm. on October 23rd of 2019. Oh, wow. That seems also like yesterday, but I will yeah. say, yeah, I, you know what? It's funny. Once you said that you had listened to it again, I'm like, you know what? I got to go back and listen to that. So I literally just listened to it a moment ago. And I can't believe, you know, when you hear yourself, like t- even two years ago, you hear your voice, you hear what kind of ideas you're bringing up and in the way that you communicate. And you're just like, who is that person? <laughs> That's how I felt listening back to it. I was like, wow, not as, not as sure of herself. Uh, and a little, still seemingly a little lost, I would say, I think at that time in my life. But you bring up a good point. Yeah, a lot of life changes. You know, maybe the Stokecast was meant to be part of your awakening. Because that's yeah. how I think of you right now. I think that you are in an awakening. You are not yet through to see what that looked like. You are in it. And it's, it's been really fun to watch unfold. And, you know, what I really wanted to talk to you about today was a big part of your journey that's, you know, playing out as we speak or, you know, it never stops playing out, I guess, your sobriety journey. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually have to kind of repeat what what we talked about in my podcast okay, or your podcast with me, whatever. It's funny because, you know, I was talking about how I let go. I stopped drinking, you know, and I moved on because I, I needed to relieve myself of something that brought me shame Mm. and embarrassment and all of those things. Right. And I said, I turned it on you guys. (laughs) Yeah. I I hate when we interview podcasters. (laughs) Exactly. Anything in your lives that you feel like you want to let go of. And this is where you came out and probably listened to it and went, God, I was so unsure of myself. But you were kind of like, I think I'm in the process of thinking about letting go of a couple things. So it was like, I think I'm thinking yeah. about. Um, <laughs> and you you went on to say, you know, your experience was similar to mine in some ways, you know, some of the details about how how I drank, how you drank. And then the thought that hit you was, how much better would I feel if I just stopped drinking altogether? Because it's Mm. always in the back of my mind as something that's not right. And you said, and this is not even a year and a half ago, I just haven't done all the thinking around this that I want to do yet. So you were so there, you just hadn't pulled the trigger. And I'll tell you the other thing you said that was important that you wanted to let go of was caring what other people think, <laughs> yeah. into this. but more importantly, 
to start caring more about and listening to what you think. Oh man. Well, in that way, I mean, I, that's profound, Emily. Good. You're work. amazing. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, and it's funny because, you know, I listened to a lot of the like skirt sports portions of that episode today, but I was really trying to find that meaty part where we talked a lot about the drinking, mostly your perspective too on it. So we could have that. And I have to say, I, was so thankful that you reminded me of that because I don't know about you, but when I do podcasts, interviews, I often like really shy away from listening back because I just don't like listening to my own voice. (laughs) Um, So I'm glad that you mentioned that because I wanted to go back into it because it really was a time in my life. I had just moved to Boulder and I was just feeling like kind of adrift. You know, I had just moved here and I kind of expected as I always do with big moves a little bit naively, wow, my whole life is going to change. Here we go. It's just going to change. It's going to be so magic. I thought that when I left college, I thought that when I moved from Brooklyn to Boston, like I thought that with, um, you know, the move to to Boulder. And so, you know, I, I naively thought that. And then when I got here a couple months in, it's like, oh, wait, um, you know, that really cliche, but super, super true quote of wherever you go, there you are. And you're just always going to feel the way that you are unless you start doing the internal work. So at that time, I just started going back to therapy. So I think that's why some of these things were like coming up, bubbling up for me, but I was like a little scared of them. And I wasn't sure if I was ready to really talk about them in a way that made sense. And yeah, so it was, it was a super weird time. And Funnily enough, like only a couple months later, did I decide to stop drinking. Um, So I was on the precipice for sure at that point. And, you know, conversations like the one that we had and just seeing more examples of sobriety out there, you know, were super, so freaking helpful for me because once you see it represented in that it's possible and that, oh, and you can live fulfilling lives and joyful lives as well. You know, that, that changed everything once, once you realize that. I can't think of a behavior that is more like reversely stigmatized. Mm. You know, like once you declare, like I declare I am sober, (laughs) there's a stigma. It's weird. And it feels to me now many years later, because I'm over a decade in, that it should be the reverse. The stigma should be around the people who drink unhealthily. Yeah. Or even the substance itself. And and maybe even looking at the greater issue of like big alcohol companies and why are they targeting certain communities? Like, what does that actually mean? Um, I think that is something I was actually thinking about this last night. I was watching a documentary about, um, about eating disorders that just came out and it had me thinking about like the parallels between addiction and recovery to, you know, substance abuse to the um, eating disorders. And I started to think like, wow, you know, instead of thinking of this as like a collective community problem that we have created as a society that people feel so disconnected or pressured or uh, socialized to these ideals that are just totally not achievable, 
that they harm themselves in so many different ways. But then we look at them and we say, well, that person has a problem. That person has a problem. I don't have a problem. And the problem is not the society. It's that person. And so that kind of got me thinking about just the overall ways in which we can just be better as like a collective human community to people who have, whether it be addiction or just don't want to drink anymore, whatever the thing is, right, that's stigmatized. I just got kind of went down a rabbit hole of thinking about how can we be better a better human collective that is more supportive and calling these things out instead of the pointing the fingers and making people feel like they are really alone and that it's totally their fault. You know, you know, I think it's such a, it's an important rabbit hole to occasionally (laughs) let your brain go down. Love rabbit holes. Rabbit holes are fun. (laughs) And um, you know, this is partly, we're talking about some different lines that you tow, like addiction. We still aren't a hundred percent sure if the, is this, was I born to be an alcoholic? Is this in my genes? Was I trained to be an alcoholic? Was I born to be anorexic? Mm. Was I trained to cut myself? Was Mm. I, you know, all these things. So there's this line between like addictions that have, maybe a phys- physiological, uh, you know, your, your preference for you in a sense, or um, numbing behaviors that mm-hmm. you choose to do because you're trying to avoid feeling certain ways. Yeah. So it's a, it is really interesting to me. And I don't know if there's a clear, it's not black and white to me. Is it to you? No. It's definitely not black and white. And I think that with any of these pieces, because we've been basically told that, you know, uh, alcoholism is bad. Drug abuse is bad. It's the person's problem. It's the person's problem because we've been socialized to think like that. Whenever it gets brought up to your point earlier, where you're like, you say you're sober, you declare it. Right. Um, It's just like so silly in itself. But um, you declare it and then you're going to get people who are really, really supportive, like don't care at all. Great. Happy for you. Whatever works for you. That's awesome. You're also going to get people who are kind of um, thinking that your sobriety or your life choices are direct reflection of what they're doing in their lives. And and I think the thing that comes up from that is like they're having this bristle moment inside where they're they're feeling like, oh, I think I probably should examine that, whether it be subconscious or conscious that they're thinking that. That's something that I should explore a bit more of, or that's something that I really want to do, but I, I'm not there yet in my life, in my journey, whatever it be. And so I'm going to react in a way that just is probably not how I want to show up, but is almost like a trained response, right? And so I think it is super great. And the more that you can like recognize those moments of bristling, I'm obsessed with this idea of bristling lately. (laughs) And the more that you can notice those moments, like, and kind of catch your reaction and be curious about your reaction, whether it be someone telling you they're sober or something else you don't understand like doesn't make sense to you is not in no norm or whatever um i think the more that you have compassion for others and then also have compassion for for yourself 
Man, really well said. I mean, we definitely are mirrors in a lot of ways. And so when people bristle, when mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a trigger, right? Yeah. They're like, wait, if she's sober and I've been her drinking buddy, then that means my life has to change. And I love this thing I'm doing, whether it's good for them or not. Right. They they're not ready. They're not where you are. You know, they're not able to step outside themselves, like you said, and, and, and ask themselves those hard questions. But, you know, I think people come to this place of being ready to think about thinking about it, kind of (laughs) like how you said it a year and a half ago. Yeah. In different ways. Sometimes they hit a rock bottom. They literally Mm -hmm. like wake up in jail or something like crazy. Yeah. Um, Or it's a slow grind to an awakening. Let's talk about your process. Let's just let's yeah. just go back in time and talk about this whole freaking alcohol journey in your life. When did it start? <laughs> yeah, I was 14. I can remember the first time I, I drank very clearly and almost with like rose-colored glasses in a way, um, which is a bit weird for someone who's sober to say that they have any rose-colored glasses with any sober or, or uh, drinking experiences. But yeah, I, I was 14 and um, I just never felt like totally connected to any group I was technically a part of, right? I was like on sports teams. I was, you know, kind of in the AP classes and the smart kid classes, but I didn't really fit in with that group. And I never felt like I had any sort of like community. And so like a lot of people who experience drinking, especially in high school, when there's so much going on in our bodies that we don't understand. And everyone's just trying to figure out like how to live <laughs> at a very base minimum. Um, I was like yearning for a connection in a way that I could feel really uh, open and that I could kind of shut off the part of my brain that was like, why don't you feel connected to anyone? You must, there must be something wrong with you. Like self-loathing. So um that was my first experience. I mean, it was kind of gross because we handed around a, a bottle of gin. That was terrible <laughs> on my first drinking experience. Yeah. Well, um, and but, so, you know, there's a couple things about this. It's you yeah. kind of have nostalgia for it. And I yeah, mean, I definitely. think it's important to recognize that you might miss it, you know, yeah. and not all of it was super negative. I mean, maybe even passing around that bottle of gin was kind of disgusting, like you said. And (laughs) I definitely had my fair share of those gin moments. And by the way, it was probably whatever you could steal out of your parents' cabinet. Oh, totally. Yeah, it was it was like a plastic handle, too. So it was like whatever (laughs) they got from like the lowest level of the liquor store. (laughs) Oh, my God. So disgusting. And um, yeah. But I almost like flinch because I, I could never even smell gin anymore after the bad experiences I had. Totally. totally. Yeah. But when you look at it kind of holistically, and it was really about connecting with this group of people and bringing you closer, making you feel like you belonged, I get why that feels nostalgic to you. Yeah. And I, I, there's a term called euphoric recall that I read in, in the book, Sober Curious, which I know we'll talk about as well uh, by Ruby Warrington, um, which is, I think, a really good introductory book for folks who are curious about being sober. Um, she talks about it in the fact that 
almost like a scientific way of thinking about it, but that um, not even just with drinking, but like with some exes you might have with experiences that now years later, you know, we're not right for you, but it's almost like nostalgia for being young and careless and, and being able to be reckless, not having any responsibility. It's, it's not necessarily about the, the alcohol in itself. It's about the people around you and like the memories that you're trying to create. So I, 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 my therapist, which I'll probably talk about a lot in this episode um, is great. And she brought up an interesting concept to me a couple months ago when I was really struggling in the first like six months or so of this. And she was like, well, have you grieved the loss of alcohol? And I was like, interesting concept. I have been angry at it this whole time. And so I don't know that I was ready to grieve it. But I thought that that was kind of an interesting way of thinking about it. Not in that like alcohol was great for me, um, but that it did play a central role in my life for 15 years. So to act like it was nothing um, would be a disservice to my process, I think in a way. So I thought that was an interesting concept that she talked about and, and totally right. Like it, I still get a little bit nostalgic for it. Um, not that I'm too far in, but I think I, I always will probably have a little piece of me that feels that way, but it's like very small compared to the rest of me that says, Nope, <laughs> wasn't for me. You know, I, I totally, that is such a interesting and important way to look at it because it's a relationship. Yeah. Turn to it for comfort, you know, or mm-hmm. whatever it was. Um, and when you let it go, this is another kind of fine line is some people quit and they say, I'm going to quit for a while, but they don't say I'm, I can't drink again in my life, or I will not allow myself to drink mm-hmm. again in my life or, you know, more of a strict line in the sand that would be more tied to like, I have a, I'm a serious alcoholic. I can never drink again because if I do X, Y, or Z, you know, totally. what I want to learn more about your journey, but I also, I'm just off on a rabbit hole. So what camp, <laughs> when you, you know, started this journey for yourself, were you in the camp of let's just quit for a while and see what happens? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I also am not one who can be like, I'm going to do this forever. And this is, and be fine with that kind of terminology that just like, doesn't work for me just based on how much growth we as humans go through. Like, there's just no way that that, you know, can resonate for me personally. The, um, I don't necessarily call myself an alcoholic though. I will say, um, which, uh, some might say is denial, but I personally didn't feel at the end addicted to alcohol or that, um, I was using it to the degree in which like the CDC would categorize it as alcoholism or alcohol abuse disorder, I believe is what it is now. Um, but yeah, so I, I think, I think of it as more of like, a let, we need, let's try really hard and see how far we can get with this. But I think at the beginning I said, I'm going to do three months and then see where it goes. Um, And then I just wanted to continue. Um, It was just, there's too many positives piling up. And um, of course it gets hard here and there, but 
I just wanted to keep going. And so, and I do want to keep that kind of mindset going because similarly, like the way we were talking about before, it's not black and white. There will be times in my life that will be exponentially harder, even than 2020. And, um, you know, I don't want to be so rigid with myself that I create sort of a monster around it because that won't be helpful either for like my growth and getting through hard times. You know, I, and I get that. And I think everybody has their process and I want to share something with you though, about mine. Mm. And, and I think alcohol affected us, gripped us all differently. Right. I don't know if I would call myself an alcoholic. Maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. I abused alcohol badly. And what I do know about myself is that when the time is right, I will drink to excess to blacking out. And Mm -hmm. to me, that is a dangerous problem. So that's my interpretation of an extreme because you don't know the decisions you're making, right? So I actually did, had a situation in my earlier in my life where I took a year off of drinking And then I said, I'll have a glass of wine at Thanksgiving. And then within a few months, some opportunity to party reared its head. And suddenly I woke up going, what happened last night? Yeah. I just knew and learned about myself over all those times in my life of trying to stop or stopping for periods of time and then starting again. I finally realized that if I ever start again, it will go there. I don't have the capability to stop myself from going there. And that is a scary and vulnerable thing to say because more than anything, I wanted to enjoy alcohol in my life, the taste, the feeling, the craziness, Mm -hmm. all the stuff that came with it. But at the end of the day, I could never find that line. I could never back off in time. I just wanted to share that with you. I know like you're in your journey. And I hate the idea of like forever things. I came to my forever when I tried too many times to start again, you know? I don't know. How do you feel hearing that? Does it make, put you on it? Is it trigger you or make you bristle? (laughs) (laughs) No, it doesn't make me bristle. I think that's a really, um, like I resonate a lot with it because I did do not a year, but I did like dry January for like the last five years. I did a couple of months maybe two months at a time here and there um, throughout the year as well. So there was a lot of times where I was like, okay, when I go back to it this time, it's going to be different. It's going to be different, which, you know, I, it's obviously like the same. Right. And then I would make these rules for myself where I would say, okay, you're not going to drink through the week, but you're going to drink, you can drink on the weekends. And then I would get through like a couple weeks of that. And then there'd be like someone's birthdays on Wednesday. So we got to go to the bar for that. And we got to go to the brewery and have a drink that day, but because it's a celebration, but then, you know, we'll only do the weekends after that. And then it becomes, we have alcohol in the house all the time and then yada, yada, yada. So, you know, so it just snowballs and snowballs and, and, you know, for the last couple of years of my drinking, I, I found myself like, of course, there is a a part of it that is on me, right? Like to control myself. And, but I also would think that I was just blaming myself so much. And now in this year, almost year of sobriety that I have, I have found a little bit more grace with it in thinking about, you know, like this is an addictive substance. 
it's not all about how much control you have. It's just about, it, it is also about just like the substance in itself. Like it was designed to do that. Not too different from cigarettes, honestly, like it was designed to be part of our lives and keep us in. And of course, big alcohol companies make that a lot worse for people than it needs to be. Um, you know, I, I do still believe that some people can have whatever they deem as healthy relationships with alcohol. And it's not for me to say what their relationship is healthy or unhealthy. Um, but for me, it helped me to start thinking about like, it's not just about you and your control and the amount of control that you can have. It's also that, you know, the substance is the problem as well. Yep. You're right. And how confusing is it that studies will come out and say, if you have a glass of wine every night, you're going to be healthier, <laughs> you know, and that might be true. I don't yeah. know the science behind it. I've just read those studies and I'm like, God, I wish I could have a glass of wine because I watch people do it. And I so want to be like them, but you know, mm. I've now finally come to accept, you know, the not the being happy with where I am, but mm -hmm. it is incredibly confusing. And I think you're right. Many, many people, m the majority of people probably have very healthy relationships with alcohol yeah. and other things that actually are addicting, like caffeine or, <laughs> you know, I I'm addicted to caffeine. I'm like one addiction at a time, you know, like I can't, I can't lose coffee in the same year I lost alcohol. You know, I can't grieve too much. So you cannot, at least you didn't pick up smoking. Did you? No, 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 I would okay. never. Oh no. That's a good one. I mean, that's a great use case. Speaking of sober curiosity, because I feel like it's becoming way more popular to be sober. And you know what? That's because being sober is freaking cool. So that's why, but um, I'm excited about that movement because, um, you know, it feels kind of like, uh, people are finally catching on, right? Like, and, and, and I'm so new to this too. So I say finally, as if I've been here for years, but, um, that it's a similar in my mind to like how people realize, <laughs> realize that cigarettes are bad for them. And then there's like all these campaigns about how bad they were. And then people are finally like, oh, we shouldn't do this inside in restaurants probably. And, you know, so that I think that they were in a good place where it's becoming uh, more of a part of the conversation in the culture. Um, but no, I would never smoke cigarettes. Uh, I did in college when I was at bars, but not I anymore. <laughs> I mean, I hate to think I judge people who smoke cigarettes, but I might. And I know a lot of really amazing people who occasionally enjoy a cigarette. Mm -hmm. I just, that one I can't get my head around. So if you're listening yeah. and you smoke cigarettes <laughs> and uh, want to unsubscribe, do it. I'm human though. And you know yeah. what? I can't stand the smell. It makes me feel sick. So there. Yes. Yeah. So there we're putting a, a flag in the in the ground. <laughs> um, you did say something really interesting though. You were like, well, so, you know, I'm not going to drink till the weekend, but on Wednesday it's somebody's party. So we're going to go to the bar. So I have to have a drink then. Mm. So the flip side is you can skip the party or you could go to the bar and not have a drink. Right. And that is, that's the place we want to get to, right. Is to be able to do the things, not miss out, but not, um, you know, not create some kind of urge that we just can't hold, you know, fend off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting balance for sure, because I think that when, 
I mean, I also started and then everything shut down. So like, I didn't really have an opportunity to go to bars right in the beginning anyways. So that was probably a good thing for me. Um, but I will say that it, there's a lot of people that I've spoken to in the sober community that don't yet feel comfortable going to bars and that's totally fine. Like I want them to eventually feel that way. Right. Like I, I want that for them, but I also think like in due time for everything. Right. So if you're not ready to be standing in a group and to be asked why you're not drinking um, or to say, no, thank you. Or to get a, you know, fizzy water instead of a beer or whatever it is. Um, that's totally fine. And there are groups, great sober groups now out there that um, are probably still meeting in COVID safe ways that you can join that do other activities and going to breweries or just running groups or hiking groups or any kind of groups like that, where drinking is not tied to them. And you can still have that like community aspect. Um, and the really cool thing is that a lot of places I mean, I live in Boulder, which is like a, a little bit of a bubble. So I won't say that every place is like this, but it seems like there's so many more options for NA drinks now, which is really exciting. There's like mocktails, there's NA beers, there's just like little fizzy drinks that you can have. Um, so I really enjoy doing that. I don't want to miss out on, on going out to, to see friends. Um, so I, I personally feel comfortable with it right now in my, in my journey, but it does present a little bit of like a weird, a little distance, you know, it's a little bit of a boundary that you're kind of setting up naturally because you're, you're establishing that you are different from the person next to you, which can be a little challenging, but I think it's totally uh, something you can overcome. You know, it's, I've, I've uh, recently read again and talked about this book called the power of habit. Have you ever read it? It's a business book. They, I haven't. Who's it by again? I, I, oh, Charles Duhigg. Oh, I love him. I love his they podcast. Oh, I didn't even know How he had to. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I read this a long time ago in business uh, about skirt sports because I was like, habit, how can I create the habit for women to buy skirts every month? Mm-hmm. You know, like this yeah. is a habit. So really the habit was that they wanted to, I want to help inspire them to work out. Right. Mm. And then the behavior is to buy clothing (laughs) to help you enjoy workout, you know, successfully. But they talk about AA. I actually want to talk Mm. a little bit about, you know, structured groups too with you. But they talk about AA as being the ultimate um, example of an organization that used what they call a habit loop to Mm. create positive uh, behavior response. And so the cue or the urge is for a person to get a drink. The behavior before they quit is to go out and get a drink. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, the result is to feel fulfilled or not even fulfilled. I mean, for many people, it's to create quiet in their mind or Mm. to numb them or whatever they're trying to avoid. So when AA came along, they decided there's these three parts of the habit loop. We're going to work on the middle part, the behavior. So they have the urge to go drink. Instead of getting the drink to feel fulfilled or whatever they're seeking, they have connection with other people. And Mm -hmm. that's the behavior. So the drink becomes a social club, basically. 
but the resulting feeling or high or whatever you get is the same. So I thought it was really interesting. I don't know. That's really cool. I didn't, I didn't, I would never put those things together, but that makes a ton of sense. And I think the other thing too, that like that read does for you is there's a lot of things that happen after you stop drinking that I didn't realize that would happen to my body and like grooves in my brain that needed to be rewired. Um, just because we're used to them, right. We're used to being going, getting a drink, going, doing the thing. And it takes so much practice for your brain to create the different groove. And I'm totally botching like the science of it. There is science, but, um, to, to get that different groove and to get the new habit. Um, but it's totally awesome that that is kind of like an example in a business book, because that also brings like more uh, awareness about sobriety as well. So that makes me feel happy that that's like in Charles Duhigg's book. <laughs> it is. And it's, it's really powerful, actually. Yeah. So when you, when you look at it again, take a peek because habits really take hold once you create a craving. Mm. So the craving was for the alcohol to help you escape or whatever. Yeah. Now the craving is going to be for the social contact, but you have to do it enough times. And that's why they're always like 60 days or, you know, some rule of thumb, which yeah. isn't a perfect application, but you have to stick with it. And that's mm -hmm. the thing that's hard for people, especially if there is this biological side is how many times can I say no before I give in? Or can I say no enough times that now I don't, need to say yes anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that goes back to giving yourself grace too, right? To realize, okay, my brain has been wired a certain way after how many years of drinking. So I know rationally that I need to reset it. And to do that is what exactly what you're talking about is right to say, to say no, or Say, say yes to the AA or whatever the thing is that's helping you and say no to the, mm -hmm. to the drink enough times. So then it becomes a little less hard every single time and your brain gets a little bit more used to it every single time. Yeah. And then you're just conditioned. Yeah. <laughs> it's just great. Brainwashed. <laughs> yeah. But in a good way, now you say yes to caffeine every chance <laughs> you have. No, I um, drink seven coffees a day. No, I don't drink seven coffees a day. That would be terrible. Uh, well, it's definitely happened over here. I don't know. <laughs> Small coffees. Um, yeah. Let's go back to 14-year-old Emily. Mm. So have your first drink. Let's share a little more of your journey here. Yeah. Yeah. So had the first drink. And even though I got super drunk and uh, vomited everywhere on my friend's uh, mom's car's back seat, um, I still was like, yes, this is best the night ticket. ever. <laughs> best night ever. I'm cool now. People want to hang out with me. Um, and then drinking became a big part of my life and drugs, I would say. I, I did a lot, of, mostly weed in, in high school and then some harder stuff during college and a little bit after. But um, it, it was part of like every single weekend. I would prioritize it. Um, I prioritized it over basketball games. I would like not go to sports games that I was playing in to go party. I would show up, you know, still drunk to my practices on Saturday morning. Um, yeah, it was, it was part of everyday life. And, you know, I, in high school, I did, I drank so much and would like sneak out and, um, never really got caught and did any, didn't get, have any like repercussions to anything I was doing. So, 
you know, it, it just kind of like fueled me to keep going. I, you know, I drove drunk all over the place. I blacked out all the time. I was in really dangerous situations. Um, and then in college, I thought like, oh, um, I'm going to be the one who's so above all these other people because none of the, they're all really like sheltered and I'm not going to, you know, have the same issues of like vomiting and, and all the stuff. And, Oh, so wrong. So, so wrong. I just drank even more, you know, I just wanted to be like their, their drunken shepherd. Um, and it just uh, made it even worse and worse. Got into some more dangerous situations, got into, uh, uh, some more drugs. Um, you know, it was, it was not great. <laughs> and at the same time, I was kind of coming to terms with the fact that I had depression too. So I, you know, freshman year of college, it was kind of like the storm of being the, trying to be the drunk shepherd, my grandmother, uh, you know, dying and her being a really big figure in my life. And then also, like being diagnosed with depression and going on drugs for that. So it was like this perfect storm and, you know, just kind of kept snowballing like over and over again, I would feel disgusted by it and just keep doing it. And, um, you know, I just kept doing it basically until I was like 25, I would say my, it started to like kind of level out a bit more. Um, and then I found my partner who, you know, it's kind of amazing what can happen when you're in like a healthy relationship. <laughs> you don't feel the need to uh, numb yourself as much. You don't feel the need to like cover up all these things that you wanted to cover up about yourself because of all the self-loathing you've done to yourself for so long. And so I think, you know, the combination of me sort of leveling out, meeting him and starting to be in this really positive relationship uh was really powerful and then kind of led to me going on this like five-year self-discovery journey that leads to today. Um, and there were certainly times where I drank too much in the last couple of years, um, but it really was few and far between. He's never seen me drunk, he claims, um, <laughs> which is kind of amazing, I, which is also a little scary because there was definitely times when I was drunk around him and um, it scared me a little bit to know that people around me couldn't tell if I was drunk or not. Um, that was a little scary to me for some reason. And then finally, I mean, this in 2019 coming to the end of it, I was like, what do I really want for my new year? <laughs> so jazzed about 2020, like everyone was. And as I did a dry January and I was doing so much work with my therapist and just kind of like healing a lot of past traumas and just really trying to understand myself overall. So I did the dry January and then I remember we went skiing and I drank one beer and I immediately noticed a shift in my mood. I was like picking fights with my partner, with my sister. I was insecure, way more insecure than I had been, you know, in a sober mindset. And I was just like, I'm freaking done with this. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to have the same conversations with myself every single day, you know? And so then I decided to stop drinking at that point. And, and like we talked about, you know, I gave myself a couple months and it's turned into what it is now, which is uh, hopefully a long time, but I'm not going to say forever. <laughs>
Oh, okay. So a few things to sort of pick apart. <laughs> I really rambled um, that out. No, I? but this is, like, <laughs> it, it is a very important, it was an important relationship to you for mm-hmm. over a decade, much more than a decade. The last five years of it, you thought it was probably a bad influence, but you kind of kept doing it. You know, so you're like breaking up and then getting back together and breaking up. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so I get it. And um, you mentioned that what I'm seeing here is you had a perfect storm of bad things, but then you kind of had a perfect storm, like a, a rainbow storm of good things. So yeah, you therapy played a big role. Totally. Um, finding a person who believed in you and loved you unconditionally, I'm assuming played a big role. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) I mean, having like that kind of beautiful relationship because many of us don't, you know, ever find that. And Mm -hmm. if we do find it at points, it changes. So you want to find someone who loves and accepts you as you are and want and supports the changes you want to make. When people stop drinking, if that's a big part of their life and their partner's life, often you guys wouldn't make it. Right. Yeah. So I think that's really positive. And, um, I'm going to say COVID was really positive for you. How weird is that? (laughs) But I'm, I know for anyone listening who is like, I am sober curious. I want to be sober for real. I say, do it now before the restrictions get lifted, man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Eliminate that option of going to the bars. Um, yep. Earlier today, you said it's cool to be sober. You know, sober was a word that you were kind of embarrassed to use, right? But it's changing. And um, I think in school, the sober kids, there's like a cool group now, and they're called the sober kids instead of the cool <laughs> people only being the people who drank and partied, which is what right. you experienced and what I experienced. And so when you were longing to be part of the cool group, it meant you needed to do that. Well, now when you're longing to be cool, part of the cool group, it means the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so true. And like, also what does cool even mean? You know, like define your own definition of cool. Um, I am a big freaking weirdo. I have weird obsessions with like pop stars. I love watching them and I love Star Wars and I love all these weird things that I would never have admitted to in in high school. Right. And so I, you know, make your own definition of cool. Cool doesn't mean damn thing. (laughs) I'll tell you, I think cool is being unapologetic for who you are and just laying it out there. Not, not being embarrassed, not having shame and just being you. That is cool. That's right. That's right. Yes. It's funny. My, <laughs> my daughter came in the other day. She's like, are you weird, mom? I was like, yeah, I'm weird. And she's like, I'm weird too. <laughs> like, that's cool. I have a badge of honor. I love it. Love um, it. So if people are listening and they're like, I think I might need to try this. Mm. Do you think, so I sometimes would look at like a dry January. And at first I looked at it and I was like, I don't know how I feel about this? Is it a gimmick? Is it like Valentine's day? You know, is it like (laughs) just to sell something or, you know, what is the best gateway drug to sobriety? (laughs) (laughs) That is the best sentence ever. Yes. Um, the gateway drug, um, we'll just call it a gateway. So, um, (laughs) 
I do think that taking time off from it is incredibly awesome. Um, the first time I even thought about doing a dry January, I worked with this guy at a past uh, job that I had and he uh, was Irish and he, I asked him why he wasn't drinking at a certain company event. And he's like, well, most people in the UK, like they take off you know, time from drinking after the holidays. And, and I had never even heard of that concept. You called it dry January and, and I was kind of intrigued. And so I do think that like, it is really uh, important if you're interested in the, in the journey to um, kind of figure out if you are able to do that. And I say, if you're able, because I do, there is certainly an addiction element to alcohol and I don't want to discount that, but I think that either if you are able to do dry January fully, or you just try it and maybe you aren't able to do it fully, you'll still learn something about the journey either way. Right. So you'll learn that either, uh, maybe I need a little bit more help. Maybe I need to join a group or like, um, maybe even it's an, uh, a treatment center or something like that. Um, or you learn that, well, that was a good break. And I think I have a healthier relationship with alcohol now and, and maybe I'll go back or, uh, then you, or you realize, you know, maybe I just want to try this thing and just keep going. Cause I'm feeling great. And I want to see like where I can take it. So I think either way, if you quote unquote succeed at it or not, the succeeding is in the, what you learn from it. I, in my opinion, it's not from the getting from the first to the, how many days are in January? 31st <laughs> um, without taking a sip of alcohol. So in that way, I think it can be really cool, really helpful tool for like your own discovery. I do think that certainly like brands have caught on to how popular it is now and how much people want to try it. And it can feel really gimmicky from like the branding perspective, the marketing perspective, but on an individual basis, I think it can be a really good gateway to um, understanding what sobriety could mean for you. Yes. I think that's really important. You're right. You're kind of testing unless you literally wake up blacked out in jail and you just know like this was my rock bottom and I have to end forever. I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm going to rehab. You know, that's a little, that's the extreme side is the forever. Um, but if you are wanting to experiment with this in your life, what would a life without alcohol look like? Why do I feel I need it in my life? You know, what yeah. is it bringing me? And if I take that away, will I, will I feel worse, better? You know what? So yeah. I think that's, um, it's all self-discovery. Totally. Uh, and I, I will yeah, say ahead. too, just with the rock bottom piece, uh, another another guest of mine, a good friend now, John Holdmeyer, uh, made a comment to me the other day that uh, said something along the lines of, you know, why are we waiting for people to get to rock bottom before they can feel free to become sober? Um, and and I do think the the you know traditional like view of rock bottom is like that certainly still happens to people, and those stories are valid and important to be told but we do not need to wait until we get there to at least question the relationship that we have with alcohol. So I just wanted to add that because I think that's a really good thing to think about when you're thinking about yourself, but also other people in your life that you really love and care about and have the relationship with that you could approach them about, you know, something that you're seeing from the outside. Yes, that is so huge. 
You know, I, uh, I had a guest on my podcast a couple years ago, um, and he will be fantastic for yours. Do you know Scott Strode? I don't think so. He is the founder of Phoenix Multisport. And <gasps> I, um, I just interviewed, um, one of their instructors. I interviewed oh one of their instructors. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. So I knew Scott, uh, he probably started his organization around the time I started skirt sports. So it was long ago. And I was, I knew alcohol was a problem for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to give it up. I wanted to figure out how to keep it in my life. And I remember sitting down with him once and asking, how do you know if you have a problem? And he said his definition was if you are hurting yourself or people you love due to your drinking, then you have a problem. Mm. And I think that can also be an eye opener. So when and if you realize or someone you love says that really hurt, stop justifying it, listen to them and Mm. open up to the fact that if if you just stop this one thing, your relationship could improve, you know, if nothing else, isn't that? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I love that because again, like so many of these themes that we're talking about with alcohol can be so relevant for so many other things that are happening in your life. Right. Where it's like, uh, if your, um, addiction to your smartphone or like addiction to social media or just non being present is hurting people around you or even hurting yourself, you know, that's another thing. So anytime you have these moments where you're just like, could I be living a better life? It, follow that line, follow that thread and figure out, oh, I could, you know, and not to a, like an exhaustive degree, but there's always these questions that we're kind of grappling with and they don't make you less strong or whatever, or, or uh, less quote unquote normal. Like it, you should always be questioning your life and, and seeing like, you know, is there a better way to do this? Yes. Let's get exhaustive. Let's keep pushing. (laughs) Um, How many things can I improve in my life? (laughs) It might be good uh, to share some resources for people. You are sort of on the cusp of maybe a new career direction. You know, I mean, you are truly following your passion into into this deep dive into sobriety and wherever else it's going to go in your life. So, all right, someone's listening they decide it's time to stop. What can you offer them for advice? Yeah. Well, first of all, congratulations. That's a big decision to make. Um, so the first thing is just giving yourself some praise. Um, you know, if I always talk about therapy, but I do realize it's a privilege to go to therapy and it's not available for everyone. However, there are certain, you know, community resources that can get you into therapy programs that, uh, you don't need to pay the full copay or whatever it is. Um, so I would highly recommend therapy as a main source of the toolkit that you have. Um, there's also an incredible amount of groups out there now that you can join. I mean, there's you had just mentioned the Phoenix, which is a sober, active lifestyle community. So they kind of do a lot of um, 
like uh, fitness classes, outdoor related classes with all sober people. And that's totally free to attend. You just need to have 48 hours of sobriety, which is really, really cool. Total nonprofit. Um, there's groups like adventure recovery, which is, you know, taking people outdoors uh, who are in recovery or are in even still in addiction um, and can help them, you know, through the power of nature, understand, you know, what, where they are in their journey. And then there's groups like, of course, AA is still very powerful for a lot of people. And um, I know a lot of people who have, who will live and die by AA. And that's awesome. Like, you know, go to AA, figure out if it's for you. And if it's not, there's a lot of other groups, two of which are um, Tempest is another group that is really popular and um, kind of takes like a new age approach, I would call it to sobriety, um, founded by Holly Whitaker. So that's a great group. And then the last I'll say are, um, the, the luckiest club by Laura McCowan. And she is also someone who I would highly recommend reading her memoir. We are the luckiest. It, uh, one of the best sobriety books I've, I've personally read. She's a fantastic writer. Um, so I think those groups are really helpful. And then I personally consumed a lot of sober literature when I first started trying to go down this route and, and going down it. And I found that really helpful. Uh, I read a couple of books. I read Sober Curious, which I mentioned earlier, uh, Laura McCowan's book that I just mentioned, and then Holly Whitaker's book, which is more geared towards women, but it's, it's called How to Quit Like a Woman. Um, and that was really a good one to read as well and just gave me a lot of perspective. And, you know, you don't always have to intake sober information, but at the beginning, it's really good to hear words from people who have been there, who have this really great perspective on the space. And there's a lot of like tactical advice in those books in particular that I found really helpful. And now I don't really read a lot about sobriety, but um, unless I like need to for an interview. Uh, but I think the beginning, it's super helpful. Well, it, your journey has been so enlightening that you have uh, paused or stopped forever the Stokecast and mm. decided to move forward with your own podcast endeavor called Nature Untold, which is all about destigmatizing sobriety and active and outdoor communities and, and beyond. So it's mm. a new podcast. We need to get everybody to subscribe and listen <laughs> and review and all the things. Um, do, why don't you share a little bit about how that journey has been and uh, if you've been surprised at all about where it's oh. taken you so far? Oh man, I could talk about this podcast forever. I am so excited about it, Nicole. And I am so grateful for the time that I had with the Stokecast with Jonathan Ronzio, my co-host and producer. Um, you know, we were having all these great conversations with folks and it was amazing as you, I mean, you were on it. We, we were able to talk to so many of the people that we look up to in the outdoor community. And when I found sobriety, I just was finding that there's not a lot of like concentrated stories being told about recovery, addiction, sobriety in the outdoor community or through that lens or even in the industry too. So I was kind of noodling with this idea of like, oh, could I create something else? Is that like, would people want to see that? So I reached out to some groups and, and was asking them that question. Would you want to hear these stories? Is this something that would resonate with you? 
I, because I, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there and I didn't want to like recreate the wheel, but it seemed like, yes. And so I got this kind of amazing response from folks and I got emboldened to go out on my own. And it's kind of ironic because I definitely wouldn't have had, first of all, the energy, but also I think the self-confidence that I have now and to go out and go on, do my own show. Um, so it was really cool to kind of have those things come together with the sobriety. And this first season has been, uh, I mean, just absolutely unreal that people are are willing to chat and, and to your point, like normalize the conversation, destigmatize it. And I really, it's not just about alcohol. It's about drugs, of course. It's about love addiction, sex addiction, codependency, um, you know, that we have some potential conversations around eating disorder parallels. And so it's really a conversation about how those pieces at large intersect with the outdoor community. And it also has been surprising that many of the people I've interviewed outdoors, being in the outdoors, being in nature, whether they be like a professional athlete or, you know, someone who just likes to like walk along the Creek, you're part of the outdoor community. You like to go outdoors. Um, but the fact is that it's just not enough. The outdoors are not going to be enough to totally heal you. Right. It's a great portion of it, but it's not the whole thing. And I think that has been relatively surprising because I almost expected these like grandiose stories of, I went outside and then I was healed and I never drank again. And that that's not it ever at all. And it's been really cool to see the variations between people's stories and the connective tissue. So you got me on a rant. Now I'm going to just keep talking about nature untold because I'm just so psyched on it. But um, <laughs> that is what it's all about. And I'm just really, really thankful for um, the community that's being built around it. You're doing great things because it's about normalizing something that, you know, is very difficult to talk about. And it's about showing people that there can be an incredibly rich, beautiful, robust life after. Yes. Yes. You know? That is it. Right. I mean, that was like one of the things that I wanted to focus on in those shows is like, yes, we're going to talk about these dark, gritty human moments that happen. And a lot of them resonate with a lot of different people, but we're also going to talk about powder days and, and, you know, going, going hiking on the Wonderland trail. And, you know, so all these like beautiful moments that come after and, and Patty O'Connell said it best when he was saying that there is a life in which you can have unadulterated joy without, you know, substances or whatever you're addicted to. So um, to make, other people feel like that's possible when they don't necessarily feel that now is, I mean, I'm going to get emotional about it, but uh, it's been really beautiful to see people responding to it. Well, you have certainly come into yourself. <laughs> and from that day, October 23rd, 2019, when you gave voice to the fact that you thought it might be time to think about stopping, um, you have you have changed and I'm so proud of you. Oh, 
Thank you, Nicole. I really appreciate it. And I want to say, I also, I didn't get to say it up front, but congrats on, is it 1 million streams on this podcast? Yeah. That's insane. We've had a lot. It's been a lot of years. It really actually is amazing because last year I barely got through the year because it was such a crazy shit show with my company. Yeah. And I was doing like one or two interviews a month. (sighs) Ah. But I've come. You did. To I mean, it's amazing. What I've realized is that I love it. Yeah. I love this podcast. I love the people that I get to connect with. I love the stories that we get to share in the world, and I love that we get to help people feel less alone and more positive. I think it's it's a very um, simple <laughs> message at the end of the day. But these are the important things that people need right now, and you're doing the same thing. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm feeling powered. I'm empowered from this conversation. <laughs> cool. We're going to get up and I wrote down six people that I'm going to send you or more. <laughs> I've had a lot of addicts on my podcast, <laughs> but they're amazing. All, they yes. are all enlightened because of the experience. And most would say that they wouldn't do their lives over. Yeah. So this is, this is what life brought us. Um, so let's, let's wrap it. We've been rocking it today, but we could keep going. Um, yeah. <laughs> and probably we're going to have to continue cause I'm going to have to be on your podcast someday. Too. Yes. Yeah. Boom. Boom. All right. Well, let's, <laughs> let's wrap it with the final question. I ask everybody that comes on the show. And that is if you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? Oh man, I knew this question was coming and I like got so sidetracked with (laughs) earlier questions and talking. Oh gosh. Okay. I think that along the same lines of what we've been talking about, the way that you can always run your world better is by staying curious, staying curious about yourself. What am I feeling? Who am I? What do I want? Knowing yourself but curious about others too, curious about things that you don't understand that are embedded in you that, um, you know, you want to understand more about like the bristle that we talked about. Um, I think that can only lead to positive discovery and growth. And, and that's what I've really learned over the past year is how to stay curious with myself and with others. Well, when you start a new podcast, you got to be curious because there's a lot of questions you're posing out there in the world. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, We're going to get over there, every single one of us, and start following and subscribing and listening to all of the amazing people you have had on the Nature Untold podcast. Congratulations. Way to go. Thank you so much, Nicole. I appreciate it. You are on the path, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much. This is awesome. So what'd you think? I, uh, I really love this episode. I love Emily. I love this topic. Um, it's very close to my heart. As many of you know, when I quit drinking in 2007, it was time. I had done the testing. I had tried my month or year or whatever of not drinking. And when I reintroduced alcohol to my life, it did not work. It went bad fast. So I encourage anybody who 
is thinking about being in the process of letting go of something that's holding you back in your life to just take that step, take that first step. And like Emily said, the first step may simply be to trial, to take time off. And you may find that you feel so great emotionally and physically that you don't ever want to go back. And if you do go back and you find yourself back down a familiar negative, um, let's say self-sabotaging path, then be honest with yourself. Surround yourself by people who will be honest with you. I think Emily Holland is on the cusp of becoming a true force of nature in this world of clean living. I love that she's changing the dialogue. She is destigmatizing this word sober. It's so weird to me that sober is the word that people are embarrassed to be. And uh, drunk is the word that they embrace. So we're going to turn that on its head. And uh, we are going to say that you can be whoever you want to be. And if you choose to be sober in your life and free yourself from addictions, drugs, alcohol, or other that are holding you back, then you are the coolest person on the planet. (laughs) Um, If you feel that you need help finding resources, reach out to me, reach out to Emily. We will help you. We uh, talked about a few of them in the podcast, like AA, The Luckiest Club, Tempest Group, Phoenix Multisport. Emily really highly recommends therapy for anybody who's going through any kind of trauma in their life. Um, And drinking too much to the point of blacking out or harming yourself or others is definitely trauma in my book. Um, I also would like to push the books that she threw out there, which are Sober Curious and How to Quit Like a Woman. And to be honest, why not grab the power of habit too? It may help you get some ideas on how to change other things in your life that that you think need, need changing. And uh, I think I'm going to end it by saying that I, I believe that any of us can change our lives at any time It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who's been potentially hurt in your path. You can change. You can improve your life. And people may or may not forgive you or get out of your way, but it's up to you to put yourself on the right path for you today. Again, if you want more of those lovely words of wisdom, sign up for my newsletter. I actually talked about change in my last one that went out on my 49th birthday and that change is everything. Without change, we don't grow. So with that, it's time to go out and get a little more change. Go move your bodies. Go get a workout. You know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, everyone, and I'll see you next week.